outline here from one verse. I'll be reading verses 1 through 7 for the context of 7, but Paul's going to be preaching on uh, verse 7. So 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Dear Lord, we lift our pastor to you and pray that you would use him mightily for your glory here and that you would open our hearts to hear from you. Lord, we are here to hear from you, and we pray that you would speak to us this morning and that our hearts would be moved by your word and by what you say to us. So use your servant Paul, give him clarity of thought, clarity of words, and clarity of explanation to open this word up to us. And by your Holy Spirit, Lord, may you cement it into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Steve. Well, we have, uh, before I get to the exposition of this uh, passage, we do have communion this morning. So if our uh, stewards will come forward and um, let me read a passage of Scripture to us this morning from Luke 22. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So what we have here are just elements, they're just symbols. Symbols that point to a, a conclusion uh, when these symbols will not be needed anymore because we'll enter into the realization of them. But it is through the body, the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ that humanity has any hope at all because the body of Christ, of course, was prepared for him, says the book of Hebrews, from before the earth was made. And so, in a sense, we can say that uh, Jesus Christ is the is like the prototypical human being, because that body was uh, 
probably thought up, as it were, before the body of Adam was thought up. Just think about that. And he took human form in order, of course, to bear our sins. So his humanity is our escape from our sin. And then, of course, his blood, his shed blood, is that which atones for those sins. And so as you come forward this morning, and I'll invite you to come right now, I want to read on just a a little bit what Jesus says here. Remember, he says that uh, he had fervent desire to take this. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Which means that when the kingdom of God comes, there will be partaking of uh, the fruit of the vine. There will be partaking of of uh, the good things of the earth. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Now, in the Old Testament, there is only one mention of this new covenant. That's in the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 31 of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah, it says a new covenant, that God will make a new covenant. But there isn't a great deal of detail given by Jeremiah. Now, Jesus comes on the scene, and before his trial and before his death, he speaks about the new covenant. The new covenant. And this new covenant is about as close, as closely aligned or connected to him as Anything can be connected to anybody, which is in his blood, in his own body, and in his blood. Thank you. And so when we take up the elements this morning, let us remember the humanity of Jesus, which saves humanity. Let's take this bread together. And then the cup symbolizes the blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more personal, is there? (laughs) Nothing that uh, can be forsaken and sacrificed. There's a more value than our blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood, says God in the book of Leviticus. And so Jesus gave up his life, but he gave up his life in a specific way. This is important. He gave his life up as the Lamb of God, as a sacrifice. He couldn't die any old way. But he had to die as a sacrificial animal, as it were, in our place. And so let's remember that. This is a symbol of the new covenant that we have been saved into. This is why we're not under the law. This is why we're under grace. This is why 
our future is, uh, is confirmed. And we, when we take this element, we tell God, we tell each other, we tell Satan, we tell as a testimony to anyone that we are members of this new covenant in Christ. Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge, Lord, that by your grace, by the conviction of your Holy Spirit, and turning our hearts and our minds to what Jesus did and giving us understanding of the cross and of the resurrection. We came to understand that we indeed were sinners and that we needed salvation. There's only one way of salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ, your Son, the one that you have designated to be the Savior of mankind. And I pray for this message that it goes out and that it reaches many ears. I pray for the upcoming harvest party, Lord, when we will uh, give out evangelistic booklets and speak about this message, that, Lord, you will turn hearts toward you, that you will convict, and that people will embrace the truth and, and believe in Jesus and be saved. We thank you, Heavenly Father, because all that we have, all the hopes that we have, are bound up in Jesus. So, if you will turn now to 1 Peter, chapter 3. First Peter, chapter 3. Steve read out for us the first uh, seven verses. I'm going to concentrate on verse seven this morning. But uh, again, to give you the context, just to say a little bit more on this. In chapter two and chapter three, Peter speaks about three areas where submission is required by God. It is required that we submit ourselves to those in authority over us, to governments in verse 13 and so on of chapter 2. There are times and there are areas, particularly when it interferes with our right worship of God and our putting of God first, that if government tells us that we cannot do that, then we have to disobey government. We can't disobey an authority that is lower than God um, and claim to be obeying God. Do you see? When God tells us that we are to submit ourselves to governments and every ordinance of man, that is every ordinance that is uh, not impinging on our Christian faith. The same with servants, with slaves to their masters. They are commanded to be submissive to their masters. And this is commendable to God, and this will be rewarded by God, even though it's certainly not the best of, of uh, worlds for those people who are in that situation. 
And there are many Christians in the world who are in less than ideal situations. We really are blessed here in America. And we may have our own problems, our own difficulties, but they are first world problems and difficulties very often. And so we need to remember our brothers and sisters in other countries. I was, you know, in in Nigeria, uh, brothers and sisters are being slaughtered and um, brutally beaten and mistreated. And there's very little protection from the government. And so that's just one instance that we need to be grateful and we need to, to uphold those of our brethren in different areas of the world. But yes, servants have to be submissive to their masters as much as they can be. If the master says you can't worship Jesus, that's an area where, of course, the servant will respectfully say, well, I'm going to worship Jesus. But still trying to obey, being the best servant that they can. And then, as we saw last week, he he addresses the family and he addresses wives. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. This, as uh, we were clear about last week, is not the wife being the doormat. It's not the wife uh, having to endure physical abuse. Obviously, this is kind of the general, a general truth. There are areas where the husband may be um, behaving in such a way that it's in no reasonable person can expect the wife to put up with it. And so separation might be in order. Uh, maybe in situations where there is alcohol or drugs <clears throat> or gambling or just violent behavior. These are examples of that. But generally speaking, the wife is to submit to the husband. That is God's requirement. And so uh, when it comes to that, it's most important that we understand it in the context, first, of the society in which Peter was talking which was a patriarchal society, and that we bring that into what God requires for today because we live in anything but a patriarchal society uh, today, even though it's used, you know, the patriarchy and toxic masculinity and the rest of it. Basically, we are living more and more in a feminized society And uh, this can be seen all over the place, wherever you look. Uh, It can be seen on college campuses. It can be seen in the TV and in the films. It can be seen in the churches. It can be seen uh, many times in the home. And so in a situation like that, we go to passages like this and to Ephesians 5 and so on. And we, again, we look at what God says because this is God's requirement in our world, which is a fallen world. And it means that the wife is to live in such a way 
that she witnesses to a disobedient husband, that is a disobedient from the gospel, so that her witness uh, gets his attention. Now, the wife is not going to get the husband's attention if she's carping, if she's henpecking, if she's complaining all the time, if she will not submit and she will not respect in those areas where, you know, he is not being unreasonable. She is to, in verse 4, have a gentle and a quiet spirit. Now, she's to have a gentle and a quiet spirit because that is uh, a direct command by God, but it's also an act of devotion towards God. It's very precious in God's sight. So it can be seen in those two ways. You're devoted to God, so you do that. And we know it takes work, of course, because it would for all of us. And then it's also something that is required in a Christian family. Gentle being the way that um, the the wife particularly uh, is towards uh, her husband. Quiet, not meaning that she's, you know, she can't have a say or that she doesn't have a voice. That's not what it's talking about. But just that she's not, you know, overly vocal in the home. She's not noisy. She's not loud. She's not uh, just overbearing. Okay? Because that's not going to win a husband over at all. Now, as we come to uh, this seventh verse, there is a note, and that's really all it is. There's more information on this in uh, Paul's epistles, but here in Peter, there is a note, one verse, that is addressed to husbands, but it's quite comprehensive. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, that is your wife, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, there's a great deal in that. The first thing I think that I want to say in a lead-up to verse 7 is I want to address, again, wives, and then I want to address uh, husbands, just as a start-up, just kind of a lead-in, and uh, maybe just... Uh, kind of piquing your attention here. The first point is, what would your spouse say? What would your spouse say? Peter addresses wives in the first part, and he addresses husbands particularly in verse 7, the second part. And we might think... Wives in verses 1 through 6, husbands in verse 7, that that's uh, how we respond to that is that's our business. That's up to us. But I want to ask this. Wives, would your husbands say you were submissive and respectful? Would your husband say that? Husbands, 
would your wife say that you were dwelling with them according to understanding? Which is, of course, the, the main burden that we will be looking at. You see, it's not enough. We, we don't obey God's word by saying, oh yeah, I, I, I'm respectful, or I'm submissive, or I'm understanding. Okay? Because that shows a lack of understanding and a lack of submission. Surely, you don't feel respected just because somebody says, I respect you, but doesn't sh- that they don't show it in their life. You don't feel understood just because somebody says, oh, I understand you, but you, know, you don't see much evidence of it in their life. What you want is the other person to be able to witness to God on your behalf and witness from your behavior that you are indeed what God asks you to be. Because let's face it, we can fool ourselves. We can say, yes, I'm respectful, I'm submissive, I'm understanding, and the other person will witness against us. No, you're not. If we judge ourselves by ourselves, we wouldn't be judged at all. What would God say? Would God say that you were submissive and respectful, wives, or that, husbands, you were dwelling with your wife according to understanding, something that I'll unpack in just a second? What would God say? Because if God would not witness to that, then we will not be rewarded. We might very well end up losing rewards because we were disobedient. Now, why do I say that? Is it because I'm I'm trying to be this puritanical uh, preacher up here? Do I need a rough, you know, a collar up here and be dressed in black robe and so on so that I look the part and, uh, you know, take us back a few hundred years and try and recreate society in that image? No, that's not what uh, I'm concerned about here at all. My concern is biblical. My concern is that the family is the fundamental building block of society. It's the fundamental building block. It's what Satan attacks all the time. It's what um, our politicians are, are after. It's what our big businessmen and so on, the movers and shakers in the world. That's what they're after, to destroy the the family. And there are different ways to destroy the family, but a a tried and true way that Satan destroys the family is that if people, wife, husband, children, don't know their place before God. And so that's why I open up with that Uh, rather kind of irritating question. What would your spouse say? Now turning here particularly to verse 7, husbands are addressed. Husbands likewise. And you can see at the beginning of verse uh, 1 in chapter 3, wives likewise, you see? So we're we're in the same ballpark here, we're in the same area. Now the husband is not told to be submissive to 
the wife. And here I need to just address a common misunderstanding and a terrible piece of uh, exegesis, which is often done in connection with Ephesians chapter 5. If you would just flip over there very quickly for me, Ephesians chapter 5. This is where many people do not observe the context. Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then the next verse, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, some people can't uh, distinguish between those two passages. They think that verse 21 can be included in verse 22. But verse 21 is connected with the thought that came before that, which has to do with us generally as Christians, okay? That we are not to be bullish, that we're not to be um, try to be dominant and so on over one another as brothers and sisters in Christ because we're all equal. Do you see? It isn't addressing the family. It's not addressing the home. Verse 22 addresses the family. And in the family, the wife is to submit to their own husband. So I have to, I, I had to point that out because some people say, yeah, but the husband's to submit to the wife too. Look at that verse. That's not talking about the husband's role in the family. And it's not talking about the wife's role in the family either. It's talking about Christians generally, humility, meekness, the idea of, you know, not having to have our own way uh, in the assembly. So back to First Peter, verse 7 of chapter 3, says, Husbands, dwell with them, our wives, with understanding. Or with knowledge. Some of you in your translations may have the word knowledge because that is the word that's translated there. Now, what does this mean? What is this knowledge? Well, clearly, it's not like the knowledge that, uh, you know, she's my wife. It's not the knowledge that um, she uh, requires certain things to do her uh, role as a wife. That should be taken for granted by any sensible human being. This knowledge is that, folks, of men, myself, a woman is not a man. Yeah, I know that's shocking. Okay? And that's a shocking thing to say today. All right? A woman is not a man. Okay? Men speak to each other in certain ways. Okay? They interact in certain ways. Um, so, uh, a guy in the church last week came to me and, and said, Hey, uh, I hope there was nothing that I said to you the other day that was, that was, uh, upset you. I didn't mean it that way. I said, Look, we're guys. It's fine. I didn't take it that way at all. He was, 
submitting, okay, in the Ephesians 5.29 way, submitting to me uh, because he didn't want to, he wanted to make sure everything was okay. I just said to him, look, we're guys. Guys talk to each other like that, okay? And we don't take offense. We know, uh, you know, that there's a little bit of hardness, a little bit of bluntness in there, and we're okay with it. But we cannot, guys, we can't talk to our wives in that way, as if they were guys. Okay? That's not going to win their hearts. That's not going to help them. That's not dwelling with them according to knowledge. That may be a, a rather transparent point, but it needs to be made. Also, by this idea of knowledge, is that the man is to be, although the woman is to be a helpmeet to the man, the man needs to help the woman to fulfill that role. And that help can be in, you know, uh, giving guidance, giving help, spiritual help. It can be in providing and protecting. And also, although this comes next, putting forth a kind of environment in which she can do that, she can be a good wife, she can be a good mother, and doesn't have to be concerned about uh, the things that the husband can be concerned about. So dwell with them with understanding. If you look at verse 6, you can see the word uh, that that verse ends with terror. Yes? Do you see that? Look at verse 2 at the end. That verse ends with fear. The husband should be able to deal with any anxiety, any fear that the wife may have in their marriage. Because, of course, marriages go through stages, don't they? Often where there's struggles, often where there are, you know, the wife, if she's at home and if she's looking after the kids, she may wonder, okay, what's he doing? She may wonder... Okay, where are we going to be in a year's time or two years' time, ten years' time? And so there needs to be an understanding uh, with the husband to communicate to the wife that, hey, things are going to be okay. There's no need to be concerned. There's no need to be anxious. And if there are anxieties, talk over those things. Because maybe she's seeing some things that the husband's not seeing which can happen a lot. And so we're to dwell with understanding. You know, if I I said last week, guys can be slow that way. We can fail to see what the wife is seeing very clearly. And so a man who's dwelling with his wife with understanding is trying to understand. Yes? You're trying to understand. It's not that you've decided and that's it. And there's no, uh, there's no changing your mind. There's no changing your direction. 
you're trying to understand. And that means that you're not just uh, um, thinking that you've got it all covered and there's nothing for the wife to do and there's no input. You need to understand what her role is and allow her to fulfill that role as best she can. And then it says this, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. The weaker vessel. Now, there are two ways, or well, several ways to interpret that little phrase, the weaker vessel. Obviously, in most situations, the wife, because she's a woman, is the weaker vessel physically. But I think that's the least likely explanation because most guys are not going to ask the the wife to lift things that they can't lift, for example, yes? To do the heavy lifting at all, physically speaking. I mean, most guys understand that very, very clearly. So... If that's all that it meant, it wouldn't mean very much, really. Most guys, at least, are smart enough to figure that one out. Another interpretation, then, which I think has something uh, going for it, is that women can be impacted by uh, emotional things more than men can. And this is part and parcel of because of the way that God has made women. They are, they are made to be affectionate. They are made to be uh, emotional so that they can bring a, a, a compliment in the family to what the husband brings. And so all of that is a beautiful thing. Of course, it's distorted by sin, which brings in anxiety, which can sometimes bring in uh, heightened emotions so that, uh, you know, the wife was, uh, the husband might say, well, my wife freaked out over this. Okay? Well, how did you respond? How did I respond? Did you respond with understanding? Did you, did you realize that this has been something that's been ticking away there and that she's telling you, and maybe she's telling you in an, overly emotional way. But did you, did you see the point, though? Behind the emotion, behind the tears or behind the anger, did you see the point? The point was there's something here that, that needs to be dealt with. And then there's another good interpretation of uh, the weaker vessel, and that is because the woman has, the wife has submitted herself, if she's a biblical wife, she submitted herself to the husband. And so if she submitted herself to the husband, but the circumstances are precarious, or the husband is not the perfect husband, as none of us are, then she will feel more vulnerable. In that understanding... She is the weaker vessel, but the husband is also weak. Do you see? She's just weaker because of her submissive role, 
But that doesn't mean the husband's strong. We're both weak. We're we're both broken, the husband and the wife. We're both in need of the grace of God. Without Christ, we can do nothing, as we saw with uh, John 15. But because, husbands, she has submitted herself to you, she's more vulnerable than you are. So she's weaker in that sense. She may be mentally smarter than you. She may be able to, uh, to, to manage certain things much better than you. You don't have to be the boss of everything. You can delegate responsibility and play to her strengths. But she's still, if she's submitted, there is that vulnerability. There is that weakness that comes with being underneath a weak head. Do you see? And so that's, again, where understanding, where wisdom comes in for the husband. He has to make sure that uh, the wife's emotional state, that her, um, that she has everything that she needs, that she's not worrying about things or she doesn't have to continually come and harp on things that she needs, maybe for the kids or maybe for the running of the house, that these things are uh, talked about and these things are settled. Why? Well, Peter says that we are heirs together of the grace of life. That term, the grace of life, refers to the life that grace imparts. We've received grace. We've received the grace of God, and with it we've received the life of Christ. We've received the spirit of grace. We've received forgiveness. And we continually live our lives out in light of the forgiveness, the ongoing forgiveness of God. Because we constantly have to ask God to forgive us for messing up again, for getting angry again, for being foolish again, for giving into sin again. We experience grace. I'm talking here about husbands particularly. We experience grace and therefore we need to impart grace, having been recipients of it constantly. We're heirs together of this grace and we should share it. We should dispense it to each other. A good Christian marriage should be um, shot through with this grace, the husband being gracious to the wife, the wife being gracious to the husband. I've counseled enough marriages. I've been married uh, myself 25 years. I, have, I understand this, that in me and in husbands generally, there's a lot to put up with for wives. There's a lot that husbands 
I particularly don't see or they didn't hear it properly or it went in not the way that the wife wanted it to go in. And so he's misunderstanding, but it's like it's hard to, now to get that dislodged from him and get him to really listen. There are things, therefore, that the wife's going to have to be gracious to the husband about. And here, particularly, that the husband has to be gracious toward the wife about. So that our prayers are not hindered. You see, both of us are children of God. If it's a biblical marriage, both are children of God. And just because the the husband is the head of the wife and the head of the home, that doesn't mean when we get into eternity that the woman is submitted because that's when rewards are given out for faithfulness. And we may find very well that our wives are more, are given more glory, more attention than our, than the husbands are in many a case because they've been faithful wives. They've put up with a great deal. They have uh, served God devotionally in their role as wives and as mothers. And, of course, not counting their role in the church. And so they will be exalted by God as a reward. And maybe the husband, who's not been quite as uh, faithful, maybe not quite as, as quite spiritual, will be not as exalted when everything pans out. But right here, right now, this is the operation that God wants to see both in society in chapter 2 and in the family here in chapter 3. So this is this word to husbands. Husbands have to be able to think. They have to be thinking about their wives. They have to be thinking about, okay, what's going on? Is there anything troubling them emotionally? Is there anything troubling them that they're seeing? You maybe have to pick up on certain things. Is there irritation in the voice? Can you see concern there? Well, they, this needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed kindly. It needs to be addressed as the protector in grace. And wives, if a husband is going to do that, he needs to be encouraged to do that. And he's not going to be encouraged to do that if he's going to get hempecked when he opens the subject up. So we have come to the conclusion of these three areas of submission. Submission to the ordinances of man, submission of servants to masters, and submission of wives to their own husbands. These are given a lot of space in Paul's epistles and here in Peter. They are significant. Our society brushes these things aside as old hat, as part of the old patriarchy. They are not. They're found in the Garden of Eden, folks. 
They are found in the Garden of Eden. Adam was made first, then the the woman was made for the man, as a complement to the man, as a helpmate to the man. And finally, of course, when all of this imperfection is over, even the best marriages are imperfect marriages, there is glory. There's the judgment seat. When each of us individually, husbands, wives, have to stand before God to give an account. Don't think that you'll just give an account for your ministry or for your um, your devotion in church or for your busyness in church, which may be all very legitimate and uh, be done for the right reasons, for the right motives. You'll also be judged according to what kind of a wife you've been, what kind of a husband you've been. Why? Why do I know that? Because of the amount of space that this is given in the Scripture. The world does not like this idea of submission of wives to their husbands. Hates it, in fact. Hates it. If we are to be good Christian witnesses to the world, if we are to witness against the devil and the way that he wants to destroy our families, there must be this understanding in the wife and in the husband. It is not an accident that in Ephesians 5 and in Colossians 4 and here in 1 Peter 3, the wife is addressed first. You would think that as the husband, because he's the head, he would be addressed first, but he's not. The wife is addressed first every time. Why do you think that is? There's a reason for that. If the wife will not submit, none of this is possible. It's not possible to go any further than that. And so... What society hates, God puts there first in order for the Christian family to operate as a witness to the world in the way that it can and it should. If any of you have any issues, you have any questions with this, you can certainly approach me later. If there's something that I've not covered here in these two sermons, by all means, bring that to my attention. But my, uh, my role as a preacher and as an expositor is to expound what the Scripture says, not to tell you what you want to hear. We're going to move on from here, and, and Peter is uh, going to go on and speak about how we are to be to each other generally as Christians. But let us not forget, let us not walk away from these two sermons, wives and husbands, um, as if these sermons were not preached. I'm glad that they're over, personally, (laughs) because it's not the easiest topic to address. But I hope that you will, even though I've addressed it probably imperfectly,
that you appreciate that I've tried to be biblical in the way that I've approached it. Uh, let's pray, and then uh, Frank's going to come up and give the benediction. I'm not going to sing again because my voice is going out, and we have pizza to eat across the way there. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, as a husband, I, I want to confess that I'm not what I ought to be, and I want to be a better husband. I want to be someone who has more understanding, more patience, um, more focus on my wife. So help me to be that way, Lord. Help me to, um, help me to just be a better husband, more of what you want me to be. I pray for husbands and wives here that they will take these scriptures addressed to them and that they will bring them to you. And may your spirit guide us and help us and strengthen us. Help our witness and bless our marriages. In the name of Jesus. Amen.